it, it was a miracle. Like it's, it's right. truly like, ah, sorry. it's not, yeah. It, it's not something they, that, that you would just accept and say, Oh that, yeah, that makes sense. Sure. You know, he, he probably rose from the dead, you know? So I think that, like I said, <laughs> there is that, Seems sense likely. that, there is that sense that Thomas gets a bad rap for this and that it's probably the reaction any of us would have that weren't in the room the first time he came back to them. Welcome to the second episode of All Set for Sunday, a podcast to help busy and distracted parents be just a little bit more prepared for Sunday Mass, since you're going to be spending most of your time chasing toys under the pews or changing dirty diapers during the most inopportune times. Or since this week we're probably all social distancing, watching Mass from home, uh, whatever shiny object is going to distract you from being able to participate more fully. My name is Scott Williams. My co-host is my good friend, Mr. Jeff Trailer. Hi, everybody. Week two, we made it. Yes, we did. And we're going to be here uh, interviewing different priests along the way just about what what they're going to be preaching about, our takes on it, and all uh, everything in between. So today we have with us once again Father Tim Wichiscala, who's the pastor at St. Mark Parish in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. Father Tim, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me back. I'm sure that that was not your intention. I'm probably the only priest that says yes, but I'm glad to be here again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes is an easy qualification. <laughs> well, there's nothing else to do right now during this coronavirus period. So here I am, and I'm glad to be here. We're glad that the reason you said yes is there's literally nothing else to yeah. do. <laughs> and trust me, I even checked, and I could find nothing better to do. So here we are. No, well, I appreciate you, it. Father. It's good to be back. Awesome. I'm going to go ahead and get us started then uh, with a recap of what the readings are about. Obviously, we'd love for everybody to take the time, go into the show notes, read the readings for this week. You can also find an audio version there from USCCB. I just listened to him. It's about seven minutes long. In an ideal world, we would go ahead and read the readings or at least the gospel. But what we've learned is that due to some copyright issues, we're not allowed to do that and put it out there without paying for it, which does not seem to make sense. But here we are. <laughs> so here's my, uh, my quick hits then on the readings. Our first reading this week comes from Acts uh, chapter two. What we need to know from there is the apostles are killing it. They're out there. They're preaching. They're trying to get people uh, to follow Jesus, and they're doing a great job at it. And they comment that those who believed, they're all in. Like these people who are believed, who believed uh, what they're saying and heard the message, they're just all in, pushing all their chips in. Uh, the psalm this week is, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love is everlasting. Goes without saying during this Easter season. Um, I think the one line that jumps out in there that is most important is uh, the stone that was rejected becomes the cornerstone. That's always one that stuck out in my brain, at least. Second readings from First Peter. Um, he's first off starts off thanking the Lord for the salvation that we've been given. He points out that this isn't going to be easy. It's not easy to do this. It's not easy to follow. But we don't need to see him to believe to attain salvation. We don't need to see what's happening. We just need to know, and then we'll find that joy in our heart. And then the gospel reading this week is the famous uh, story of Jesus appearing to the apostles in the room, in the upper room, giving them gifts of the Holy Spirit, and then obviously doubting Thomas and uh, how he makes his Typical. way into the story. So that's our readings for this week. Like we said, uh, and we've said before, ideally you'd take some time, look over those. But again, this podcast is for people whose lives don't operate ideally because you have kids and sometimes <laughs> they're just the worst. So we're going to just dive into it then. Father Tim, what are you preaching about this weekend? 
Well, you know, it, it is a Divine Mercy Sunday. And as Jeff said, we have a very famous gospel about doubting Thomas and all of that. My last name is Wichiscala, so you would think that since I have a Polish name, I would spend all of the weekend preaching on St. Faustina and the, and the Divine Mercy revelations. And I really do like, you know, I love the Divine Mercy Chapel. And I love that story, but with it, it's too hard not to preach about doubting Thomas and, uh, and not to preach about, you know, that he, that he had the privilege, of course, of feeling the wounds that Jesus endured during the Passion with his own hands, seeing it with his eyes, and then he came to believe. But there is a line in the gospel that I think, you know, sort of writes a homily in and of itself. And it is, Jesus says, after Thomas says, my Lord and my God, Jesus says, have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. And obviously that is us. I mean, we don't, for the most part, you know, unless people have experienced visions or miracles, we don't have the privilege that Thomas had to, to see it and feel it with our own hands and our own eyes. So our faith, our faith is, it's just that it's faith, you know, that we were the blessed ones who have not seen in such a way, but have come to believe. And the homily then unfolds from there. You know, what does that mean? What have we seen? What are the things that inspire our faith? And then, you know, how is it that we trust and that we have faith, even when like Thomas, you know, there's so much doubt and doubt is natural. I usually tell people doubt and questioning your faith. Most of the time it's involuntary. Therefore it really can't be sinful because, you know, a sin is only something that we're able, you know, that, that we choose to do, but it's what we do with that doubt and where we, you know, what we allow that doubt to do to us, where, you know, the practice of our faith comes in. I am greatly relieved, I'm greatly relieved to hear you say that's not a sin. Because I know that that is a great burden of my own right. that in times of struggle, just demanding that God show me something or that I must know, I must see, I must get the answer and have it audibly spoken into my ear. Yeah, and there's that fine line. Be- say. Yeah, and there, there's that there's that fine line between the doubting and then like seeking, see, seeking the answers to the questions that we have um, and. Not that like just being able like it's good to seek. It's good to find answers. I I relate with this with this gospel on so many levels. I even my wife got me a Caravaggio painting of of doubting Thomas, like sticking his his finger into the wounds of of Christ. And like you said, all of us are are those people that that believe and and have not not seen. But it's sometimes I, I lean on, on on Saint Thomas because he did it did it for us. And like there, there's just there's times that I've been, I felt, you know, am I worthy of this job? Am I worthy of this relationship? Am I, am I worthy to be on this team? And when I was uh, a single guy, like, am I worthy of love? And, and, and in so many ways, like this, that image of St. Thomas in this gospel is Jesus saying, yes, you are worthy. You are, and I love you. Like, this is how much I love you. I did this. I, I, I hung on the cross, like feel these wounds. Right. And, you know, and I think that that a lot of times Thomas gets a bad rap. I mean, it's unfortunate that we literally know Absolutely. him as doubting Thomas because mm-hmm. of this passage. You know, it's important to remember that, as I said, that, you know, questioning and doubting, especially someone who had just been told before he ever truly understood everything that that Jesus had just risen from the dead. And, you know, but, you know, Thomas, as our tradition tells us, Thomas ended up going further than any other apostle in his evangelization he, he made it all the way to india 
No one else went that far to bring the gospel. So there's a, there's a lot more to Thomas's story than just this one moment. But yeah, you're right. And, in, and had in he been more moment, punctual, he would have. Yeah, exactly. Like, where was he? Why was yeah. he late? That's a good question. I don't know. He wait. I that's what. And this has always been like my nature. But I started like in my brain. I read this gospel and I start playing the scene out. Right. Like, here are the apostles. They're hiding in this room. They're terrified because. I mean, the whole, the, the cycle of what has happened, seeing Jesus crucified and killed, the tomb being empty, they have no idea where he's at. They do know they're being hunted down, potentially, because they're supporters of his. They're hiding in this room. I imagine the door is, like, very carefully barricaded and blocked, and then all of a sudden behind them, it's like, hi, Jesus here. <laughs> and, just, and so they have this experience, and not only does Jesus show up, but then there's tongues of fire and the Holy spirit. And they're like, just totally overwhelmed by this. And then he leaves again and they're like, wow, but he's gone. And why didn't he stay? And then Thomas shows up and this is where I think he gets a bad rap. Like, how could you not walk in and think you were just getting pranked by all your friends? Like <laughs> when you show up and they're like, Jesus was here. And he's like, shut up. Like, well, yeah. come on. That or, that or he was like, you guys need to lay off the wine because this is, because there is no way this happened. Is that why yeah. all these empty wine skins are laying yeah. all over the floor? Come on now. Yeah. No, um, Thomas no, stands but, in for all of us right there. Scott's right. I mean, when, you know, when he doubts and then, and yet then he is given something to strengthen his faith, you know, and that's in many, many times that's the journey for all of us in faith. Well, and the, the extreme nature then of which, he is arguing with them that Jesus could not have been there and finally goes to the, I mean, I'm, I have a sense of uh, being extremely ridiculous in situations like this as well. But the fact that he turns to the, all of his friends and says, if Jesus is here, like, let me put my hands in his wounds. Let me see the nail marks. Let me shove my hand in his side. I won't believe it until that happens. And then for Jesus to show up and be like, oh, Thomas, I hear you didn't believe. Come on over. I have to believe, like, it never says that he actually does stick his hand in there. Jesus tells him to come over and do it. But do you imagine Thomas was like, no, I'm cool. I'm good. I didn't, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, didn't say, I didn't say that. Was Peter, was that you? Did you say that? I don't remember saying that. Like, but the fact that Jesus, like, has to be so annoyed with these apostles. I mean, when you think to them falling asleep in the garden, you think to that, like, all of these things where he is literally given himself in the most extreme way and still those the most the closest to him who have seen him perform miracles who have lived with him even thomas is still just struggling like i i don't i can't just know i can't just know i have to see it i have to touch you i have to understand well and that's what we're like we're called to do as as a christian people is to evangelize and to give that message to the rest of the world like we're we are trying to 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 tell people about the miracles of of Jesus, about his good works. And we're we're literally having to to bring people that don't know know Jesus and say, put your hand into his side. Like th this actually happened. Like putting myself into into the into, into those those footsteps. Yeah, it would be really hard to believe. Like that's the craziest thing in the entire world. It's it's absolutely it it was a miracle. Like it's it's right. truly like uh, Sorry. It's not, yeah. It, it's not something they that that you would just accept and say, oh, that, yeah, that makes sense. Sure, you know, he, he probably rose from the dead. You know, so I think that, like I said, there is that <laughs> sense. Likely. That, 
there is that sense that Thomas gets a bad rap for this and that it's probably the reaction any of us would have that weren't in the room the first time he came back to them. Now, granted, Jesus had said more than once, and then on the third day he will rise. Like he's, he made it clear he was going to rise from the dead, but until seeing it in hindsight, all of that would have been confusing. Like, what is he talking about? Like, what is going to happen here? The Gospels are full of things that Jesus makes incredibly clear, and people yeah. still don't listen and pay attention to. Our, our lives are full of things that life. Jesus makes very clear, and we don't listen and pay attention yeah. to. And then, yeah. And then Jesus, like in in the midst of all that, he says those those four words that we hear uh, at, at every mass, and um, so frequently, like the words that he brings is "peace be with you," and right. like, why do you think that that is such a prevalent part of our liturgies on uh, on a regular basis like what is the piece that he brings into that room and how does that manifest itself into uh into like that part of the liturgy well i think in many ways that that connects us back to that first reading from acts the piece that when we truly give ourselves to it when we allow ourselves to experience it that that brings about that peace and harmony of the church of of us being of one mind and one mission you know, and, and when you have that, you have a profound sense of purpose and a profound sense of peace of, you know, not to say that that obviously that the church wasn't facing horrible persecution, that everything is is wonderful and easy. But the, the inner peace that goes along with anything the world can give you is only found, you know, when you fully believe in, and give yourself to that risen Lord. It's interesting that it talks about the church basically being of one heart and one mind, which it's nice to hear that, but that was probably the last time that ever happened because for that, for 2000 years, <laughs> the church does not look or sound like that. Except if you really think about, you know, that those who are in the church, those who are really able to accept and give themselves to this endeavor, there is, there's an inner peace and a harmony of mission that is only possible when, when you have that directly from Christ. So I think that there is, yeah, that him saying peace be with you, which also, by the way, is, what bishops and with say. your spirit. Yeah. That's how bishops start, you know, instead of saying Lord be with you, a bishop will say Pax Wobiscum, peace be with you. You know, to sort of show that apostolic link that they're extending that peace that was given to the apostles directly through the ages to the church. And so, you know, it's a peace that all of us long for. It's a peace that, you know, once you get it, it's something that you know that you spend your whole life trying to hold on to and redevote yourself to, but it is it's only found that peace is only found when you are in the presence of, and in the, in the experience of the risen Lord. Amen. I've got a, I've got a dumb question. I know Jeff, we talked before the show, you have a, a few dumb questions of your own. All of um, my questions are dumb questions. Yeah. Same. So, yeah. Jeff, dumb question is redundant, but go ahead. <laughs> Do people know that Jeff and I know each other like, on a personal level, I'm not just some jerk that would say that to a guy that I don't know well. So I've never <laughs> spoken to this man in my life. <laughs> so the Divine Mercy Sunday, that was instituted in like 2000, I believe. Is that correct? Right. Ish. Um, yes. So it was the events, of course, happened back in the 30s in Poland, and but it was not made a universal feast until John Paul II did so, yeah, somewhere around the turn of the millennium. Okay, so I don't remember um, before that, but so has the second Sunday Easter readings always, like, are those anyhow directly connected with Divine Mercy Sunday, or 
That is a good question. That's not a dumb question. That's a good question. So the the second Sunday of Easter obviously has always been the end of the octave. Count Easter Sunday, the, you know, and then all the way to the second Sunday. Those are the eight days of the celebration of Easter. Before the institution of Divine Mercy Sunday, I was um, still in grade school. So I do not recall if the uh, if the lectionary was changed at that time or not. I mean, it would make, yeah, it's it's still during this Easter time, so it would make sense if it was always the Doubting Thomas Gospel. But I honestly, right. I don't know. Or what? Or is there any particular reason that you're aware of that Divine Mercy Sunday was placed on this particular Sunday? Um, as the yeah, for the eighth day of the octave of Easter, no, not specifically. I mean, obviously, the the image of Divine Mercy that is you know that famous image shows you know the light of um, of forgiveness and grace pouring forth from the heart of Jesus, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, which, um, so there is something to be said for it's sort of an image of a post resurrected Jesus, you know, and usually he is, he's, there's like a cave or something behind him. So you can sort of see it as him stepping out of a tomb and his mercy pouring upon the world. But, but as far as why it was placed on the eighth day of the octave of Easter, I don't know. I, I think I've got this figured out guys. This is, <laughs> This is some Poli- this. this is some Polish inside baseball is what this is. Because <laughs> John Paul II has this devotion to divine mercy and he says we're going to put it on a Sunday and he's like when do we really have like when, when have we really grabbed them all? When do they know cuz I want them to know about Faustina. I want them to know about divine mercy Sunday. So he says let's go the Sunday after Easter. We still get them trickling in after the uh the Christers for the year and then we can grab them and they know about it. I like to think too, you know, because I'm not sure if you know this, but shortly after the visions and shortly after this became a movement in Poland, the Vatican was somewhat uh, somewhat suspicious of it. Before the council, it was even condemned by the Holy Office because there was some questions on things. Apparently, a lot of it had to do with the Italian translation of Faustina's uh, journal was not very good. So there were some things that they realized she didn't actually say, but in the Italian sounded a bit questionable on doctrine. So they, in their caution in those days, it was it was basically condemned that condemned in the sense that it was not given the official approval of the church. And you you know you have to believe that once a Polish you know this Polish Karol Watiła becomes pope, he was like, uh-uh, this is this is our devotion, and we're going to make this right. So exactly, we're gonna, we're, we're going to make it universal. I mean, it was. That condemnation was lift shortly after the council, you know, even before he was pope. But they really—he's the one that really, that really universalized it for the whole church. Jeff, what dumb questions do you have? Well, first off, I was going to ask that same question, and he said it was not a dumb question, but there's no way he would have said that to me. So no. anyway, here's my, my <laughs> questions do, do get dumber though. So uh, Thomas or Didymus? Do you have Tom- any idea why he goes by both names? Thomas called Didymus. Um, you're just trying to ask hard questions, so I look like I don't know anything, aren't you? <laughs> no, I oh. forget what. There is a reason I th- um, of why that was that name was given, but I forget where the Didymus comes from. Gotcha. It's, it's his nickname. It's, uh, yeah. it's shorter. It's his moniker. Yeah. yeah. T Diddy. T Diddy. <laughs> um. All right. My second dumb question. Um, okay. You mentioned earlier that your deacon is preaching this weekend. And I've always wondered when your deacon preaches, are you like listening and critiquing and giving notes to them about this or cringing? Uh, I or... actually don't. I actually don't know if I mentioned that while we were recording. So yeah, my deacon is uh, 
my deacon is preaching this weekend, and because of this situation with the coronavirus, he is he's an older, he's in his seventies, so he's going to stay home um, uh, rightfully. So he's going to send me his homily, and I am going to read it. I just good, in a- general, in general, though, when you when you have a deacon preach, are you? Oh yeah, yeah. So well, he, here's the thing: when the when the deacon preaches, we have four masses, and he does all of them. So I hear it for the first time on the Saturday evening mass, and you know it's easy to be very attentive and listen in very much. By the fourth time, you don't want people to see you sort of drifting off or staring into space. So you always, I always look at them and as if it's the first time I'm hearing it. But uh, I really enjoy that actually, because believe it or not, we get priests get tired of hearing ourselves talk. So it's nice to have someone else preach to us. And at least you and I have that in common. Yeah, <laughs> getting tired of yeah. hearing you talk. No. The parishioners never get tired of hearing me talk, but the, I get tired of hearing myself talk. But we're very happy. I mean, we're very blessed at St. Mark that our deacon, Deacon Paul Fisher Keller, is a very good preacher. He's a very good homilist. So I yeah, always very much. I always enjoy his homilies personally. So there's not much critiquing going on. But as I said, by the fourth time when I know it and I've heard it, you know, you always want to make sure that the people don't realize it's my fourth time hearing it, that I that I look at look and act attentively during it. If he was here, he could probably tell us why Thomas was called Didymus, but whatever. That's true. He probably could. And he, <laughs> he gets to hear me more than once almost every weekend. So I'm, I'm assuming he does the same. During this time when he writes in his homilies, for the really good ones, I forget to mention they're from him. People just think it's me. But, <laughs> but now that I've said it, I, I probably have to admit it this weekend that this is Deacon Paul's homily. <laughs> Father Tim, thanks for chatting with Jeff and I this week. I know that I feel like I'm all set for Sunday. Um, we'll put some, some of that information as far as like the, uh, the, the readings and the, the audio. And I'll also post a picture of the, the, uh, the Doubting Thomas image that I was talking about as well in the show notes. But we'll see you all next week.